The series has been Pearls for Pigs, where we've been looking at the modern day idols that have a temptation to overcome the throne of our hearts. And tonight we're going to bring this to a close. And there's no specific focus on any one specific idol. We're going to take a look at one of the most well-known, illustrated moments of idol worship that I think exists in all of Scripture in Exodus chapter 32. And a lot of you may be familiar with the story. Some of you, this may be the first time that you've ever come across this story or heard of it, but in Exodus 32, we find the nation of Israel having been liberated from Egyptian bondage, being led through the wilderness by the presence of God, and they come to Mount Sinai. And Mount Sinai is significant because that is the place where God is going to hand down the Ten Commandments. And as they're in the process of doing so, something just absolutely wild takes place in the Israelite camp while they are at the base of the mountain. So Exodus chapter 32, we're going to get right into it because we've got a little bit of reading to do. We're going to work our way through the majority of the chapter because you need to see the entire episode of what unfolds. So Exodus chapter 32, starting in verse 1, Moses is on top of the mountain. He's receiving the Ten Commandments from God. We pick up the story there. It says, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, while he's up on top of the mountain, Go down, for your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent that he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. 
And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his own people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back, they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it's not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire, ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What do this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my, learn, of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, Let any of you who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me. I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on each side of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they had made the calf the one that Aaron made. What we just saw, I would define as utter ridiculousness. Y'all are a little bit quicker than I gave you credit for when I was preparing this. Some of you still hadn't gotten there yet. It's okay. If you need help, ask your neighbor. This is utter ridiculousness. God brings his people up out of Egyptian bondage, is leading them to the land of promise, and he calls Moses up to the mountain to pass down the Ten Commandments that are going to govern his people. Now, you have to remember that this is quite an intimidating scene. We try to give the Israelites some benefit of the doubt because 
when God descended upon the mountain, it wasn't just a little slight occurrence. It was him descending in great might and power. His word tells us that there was fire on top of the mountain, smoke like sulfur. The ground was shaking. As a matter of fact, God had even told Moses beforehand, he's like, you tell the people to consecrate themselves because the next day I'm going to meet with you and with all the people, tell them to cleanse themselves and tell nobody, no people, no animals or nothing to touch the mountain. Don't even touch the base of it because my glory and my holiness is going to descend down upon it. And if they were to touch that, they'll be killed. So the people were already somewhat intimidated about what's taking place, and Moses goes up there, and while all this is going on, he didn't come down as quick as they thought he should. So they get together with Aaron, and they say, Aaron, man, there's a lot going on up there. It doesn't look good. Moses, he's gone, and he hadn't come back. So we're leaderless. I tell you what, we got an idea, though. Why don't you make us a god? that we can accredit to bringing us to this point and then leading us on further. And for some reason, Aaron thinks that's not a half bad idea. So he says, bring me all your gold. And he puts it together, as he defines it, throws it in the fire, and magically, after being confronted with what he has done, this golden calf just jumped out. It's ridiculous. It is absolute ridiculousness and so Moses on top of the mountain as he's meeting with God God in his sovereignty knows what's taking place and he tells Moses hey go back down there because the people are out of hand they have made this golden calf they are worshiping it they are sacrificing to it they are accrediting the work that I have done to this graven image go down there and just know I have gotten really really upset over this So there's some practical lessons to learn from this tonight as far as idol worship is concerned. And the first one that I want to show you from their example is that idol worship, regardless of what it is. And I told you we're not going to focus on any specific one tonight. We can't cover them all. This series would span the entirety of a year if we went over all the things that compete to take over the throne of our hearts. So everybody's got different temptations, different things that we seek after that we're passionate about that sometimes take a, a wrongful place in our lives priority-wise over Christ. So this is just a, a blanket general lesson over all of the idols that we might encounter on a day-to-day basis that compete for our hearts. The thing about idol worship is it embarrasses us. It's embarrassing. These people get together and they tell Aaron, hey, we want, we want you to make a God for us. That way we can give it credit for bringing us up out of Egypt, for setting us free, for leading us to this point. And so Aaron goes along with it and they make the golden calf and these people the next day, it talks about how they, they sang and they danced and they drank and they were merry and they sacrificed burnt offerings to it and they brought peace offerings to it. They are literally acting like this thing brought them up out of Egypt. How ridiculous. That is embarrassing. It's, it's, I hate to use a harsh word, but this is stupid. What are we doing? What are these people thinking? That You know that it was the hand of God that brought you up out of Egypt. They knew that it was his hand that the plagues were sent upon Pharaoh. They knew it was his hand that split the Red Sea. They knew it was his hand that had led them to this point. They knew it was his physical presence up on top of the mountain. 
And they would say, make us a calf, Aaron, so we can, we can say, here's our God that brought us up out of Egypt. I, I, it's like I can't even wrap my mind around it. How we can descend to this? How can humanity descend to this ridiculous of a level to, uh, to attribute what God had done to some inanimate object that they themselves had made with their own hands? And on top of that, they're singing, they're dancing, they're shouting, they're, hollering, they're having the time of their lives. It's embarrassing to look at. It's embarrassing to see the way in which they are acting. And as Moses is coming down the mountain with Joshua, Joshua's like, sounds like a war's broken out. Moses is like, it's not a war, but not a war. It's just the people acting a fool. Making absolute fools out of themselves. It's ignorant, right? Blissful ignorance. These people are having the time of their life in their ignorant foolishness. So much so were they celebrating over this idol that they had made that Joshua thought a war had broken out. I would dare say that the nation of Israel had not praised the Lord their God in such a fervent, passionate way since they left Egypt that it was such an unfamiliar sound to Joshua, he didn't recognize it. He thought they were fighting with one of the pagan nations. That's embarrassing. It is embarrassing the level of passion that these people were given to something other than God. Embarrassing. Agreed? And we would never, we would absolutely never do something so stupid. We would absolutely never give such devotion and such passion. We would absolutely never raise such a holy roar or yell over something so insignificant in our lives that had nothing to do with God, would we? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Some of us absolutely did not stand up in our living rooms during that Alabama and Tennessee game and yell with such passion and fervency that the rest of our house thought, there's a war going on in the living room. We would never get so passionate about something. But we do. And maybe it's not sports you worship or a specific team. or Maybe it is. Maybe it's any one of the other things that we've talked about over the past few weeks. I would, I would never get so passionate about hunting or fishing or any of those things. Never. Some of you would never get so passionate about finding an online deal or your next 18 holes. Some of you would never get so passionate about your jobs, earning the next promotion, increasing to the next pay grade. Some of us would never get so passionate about those things that such praise would be coming out of us that it sounds warlike, the shouts that we're giving over these things. We would never do those things, would we? Absolutely not, so we might as well just move on. But we do, and when we do, it is just as embarrassing. 
It is just as embarrassing today when we prioritize any material, temporal thing over Almighty, Holy God. We just sing about His goodness. We just sing about His faithfulness as if there is nothing greater that we've ever tasted or seen, and yet we'll go from here throughout the rest of the week and live as though that's not true. Why? Because we have idols built up in our lives that we love to worship. We have things in our life that absolutely had nothing to do with our eternal salvation. They didn't have anything to do with the cleansing of your unrighteousness, and yet you spend more time devoted to the craft of those things than you do to sitting down and being still before God. And I'm sorry. I know it's tough, but that's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. I wonder what kind of letter Paul would write to us if he saw the things that we so often give such wholehearted devotion to instead of the advancement of the kingdom, instead of walking closely with God. These people, man, it's, it's, it seems unfathomable what they're doing. And yet it still takes place today in our lives in some regards that just looks a little bit different. And it's embarrassing. Idol worship embarrasses us. But the second thing, it infuriates God. Idol worship infuriates God. As he's speaking with Moses, and we go back and look at what he says in verse 7. He says, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. It's what idols do to our hearts. They corrupt them. He says, they have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. When idol worship sets itself up in our lives and we get passionate about specific things, not only does it corrupt your heart, but it will quickly turn your heart. It's not kind of a gradual descent. It's a quick one. How quick do we get wrapped up in other things that are just of temporal nature, that have no eternal value existence in our life? How quickly do those things turn your heart away from God? How quickly does one day out of the Word become one month out of the Word? How quickly does one day away from church, one Sunday missed from church, turn into two Sundays, three Sundays, four Sundays missed from church? How quickly does it turn your heart away from God? They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people. Behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Man, and what he says to Moses, in in some regards, is terrifying. He says, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them. Do you think idol worship doesn't infuriate God? He is so upset, he is so mad right now that he tells Moses, go down there, because these people are doing this, and leave me alone. So I, in my wrath and in my anger, can consume these people from the face of the earth. God says, I'm going to wipe these people out for what they have just done. Does he not have the right to do so? Absolutely he does. He would be absolutely just in taking that course of action if he wanted to. These people knew they shouldn't have been doing those things. And yet here they are doing it. Let us not forget that our God is a jealous God. God. 
He is jealous for your worship. He is jealous for your heart. He is jealous to be desired above all things in our lives, and he is absolutely worth that jealous nature. He deserves that kind of devotion. He deserves this kind of praise. He deserves this kind of shouting. And I think what, what made him so mad, obviously, is like what we talked about earlier, is that these people, I don't think, had shown him this kind of gratitude since they left. As a matter of fact, ain't none of them complain up until this point. Uh, Moses, why'd you bring us out? Why'd you lead us through here? You bring us out here to die? Let's just go back to Egypt. At least there we had food and water. We were taken care of. They ain't a number to complain. There's no praising. There's complaining. And then out jumps this golden calf. And they're going crazy. Why would it not infuriate God? Why would it not kindle his anger? Yeah, I think we, we, we live in a day of grace. Thank God. And thank God even now in his grace and through Moses' intercession, he relented in his anger. But I think we need to be reminded very, very sternly of the reality that when we elevate things above God, it kindles his anger. It gets him hot under the collar. Some of us, some of us guys in here, you, you have a real good idea of what jealousy is. You ever been in a dating relationship, ever had a, had a girlfriend? Let's go back to your girlfriend days. You worked hard to get to that point. You worked up the courage to finally ask her out. She, by chance, just happened to say yes and agree to it. So you're just like... But then you went to the football game and you peeked behind the bleachers and you saw another guy back there talking to your girl? Uh-uh. Guys, even nowadays, what if you saw that taking place with your wife? Some of you are like, mm. even just the thought of it, we're not doing that. I will knock a fool out. Why? Because you're jealous for her love, right? You're jealous over y'all's relationship. That ain't even a, an adequate description or illustration or analogy to the kind of jealous love that God has for us as his people. And it infuriates him when we place things that are so meaningless over him in our lives. And I'm going to be honest with y'all, like I have gotten so convicted over this myself here recently. Even as recently as this past week, like me and Ashley went on a trip. I went to Gaston. I was fishing in a tournament. And a trail that me and my dad fish, and it's competitive. And so it's like two things that I love colliding together. I love to fish, and I love to compete. You put those things in the same arena, like that is, that is a prime mixture for an idol in my life. I looked forward to the entirety of this week. I was ready to rock and roll. I was ready to go down there and put some people in their place, show them how to fish. We get down there, and everything went completely wrong. I won't get into all the details of it, but it was not a good week. And I got so infuriated one morning. I was so mad. I was so upset because everything wasn't going like it should, and I put so much time, so much effort, 
dedicated so much resource to going down there and doing well in this tournament. It was all falling apart in front of me, and it was ticking me off so bad. I was like, this is ridiculous. I don't, I don't deserve this. Like, I even started having conversations with God. God, why, why can't stuff just go right for me? Why can't things go well for me? Why can't I just have stuff work? Like, you spend all this money, have top-of-the-line gear, top-of-the-line equipment just for it to break, and you have to spend top dollar to fix all your top-of-the-line equipment. And I was so ill, so upset. I'm like, God, why are we dealing with this stuff? And he's like, is it really that deep? And I walked out of my hotel room the other morning. I shared this with our worship team beforehand. I look across the city. There's a building on the other side of the bridge that I had to drive across to get to the boat ramp. On top of that bridge, glowing in a green color, was a cross. And that morning... Realized I had a pig in the boat. <laughs> Israel had a cow. Trey had a pig. Man. And I got to thinking. It's really, really bad to admit how much time I spent prepping for that silly fishing tournament. Looking at maps, watching YouTube videos, researching guide articles, trying to get my hands on any piece of information I could that would give me an advantage in the competition. And I study God's Word, and I spend my time in prayer. I was having my daily devo. But if we were to balance the amount of time spent between the two over the past couple of weeks, it would have been infuriating. And embarrassing. And that's exactly what idols do in our hearts. They dominate every aspect of our lives. And it's not, it's not funny, you know. Like we look at this story and we're like, my gosh, these people, <laughs> how stupid. And yet we see the reason why God allowed it to be part of his word. So it could be a reflection to us today of the modern-day idols that we allow to enter into our lives. And I don't know what those are for each and every one of us, but I know we all have them. And, and I think the call tonight is to lay those things down. Did you notice what Moses did? Moses, Moses made a boss move when he came down. And it's, it's funny because he begs and pleads, God did not get mad. And then what's he do when he comes down? He gets mad. He takes the tatters. He throws them down. He's upset with these people. He calls Aaron over. He's like, Aaron, what did these people do to you? They had to, like, tie you to a pole. They had to threaten your life or something that led you to allow this. There's no way you just willingly went along with this. That's when Aaron came up with his crazy story, trying to wiggle himself out of it. Moses doesn't have any part of it. He says, hey, you're not going to get out of this. Like, I see right through your little lies that you're telling, your little embellishment. He's like, you, you did this. You let them loose. You played a hand in this. So Moses says, bring me the calf. And I don't know how he did it, but he ground it up somehow in some way. Probably out of his anger, I don't know, he, he found some kind of hammer or chisel or something. I can just see Moses off to the side just pounding this thing to dust. All the people are standing there watching. They're like, uh-oh. We didn't think Moses was coming back, and here he is, and it is not good. 
Moses, don't you want to go back up there? Like, just maybe forgetting this happened. Pounds the calf into gold dust. Goes over to the nation of Israel's drinking source. Pours it in there. And I'm sure all the people are watching. They're like, what does he do? Did he just pour that in our water? And then he says, hey, come take a drink. Moses starts passing out cups to everybody. Made them drink the very thing that they were just worshiping. The thing about idols is you better swallow them before they'll swallow you. Moses is proving a point to these people. This thing that you thought was your God, this thing that you thought was so great, how's it taste now? Not too good. And it serves as a lesson to each and every one of us that the things that we think are good, the things that we think are fulfilling, the things that we think are satisfying, they're going to leave a bad taste in your mouth at some point. Once they eclipse the glory of God in our lives, it's no longer fun and games anymore. It needs to be consumed and done away with. It's funny because God relented from consuming them. He says, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them. And instead, they ended up consuming it. It's nasty. And I think our call to action tonight is is just that, to take whatever idols that we have existing in our lives and grind them up and get rid of them. To do away with their existence in our lives if that's what we have to do. To take the extreme if we have to because we know that thing too often occupies the throne of our heart. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't end all that bad though. And this is how I want us to, to end tonight. I want us to have a time of prayer and a time of confession and a time of repentance as we finish here in just a few moments. If you skip over to chapter 34, it's all kind of calmed down at this point. Moses has made intercession. God has relented from his anger. The people have been led to repentance through a difficult demonstration of discipline. And in chapter 34, God renews his covenant with the people. And so in verse 10, God speaks and he says, Behold, I'm making a covenant. Before all your people, I will do marvels, such as not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. So after all this has taken place, after all this has transpired, they're going to move on from that place. And God, out of a great act of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness, calls Moses and the people back together. And he says, I still love you. I'm still going to use you. As a matter of fact, before all these people, I'm going to do marvels through you. 
And now I think it's no mistake what he says after that. He says, such has not been created. What do these people just did? They had created for themselves something that they thought was marvelous, something that they thought was God, something that they thought was excellent and praiseworthy and admirable. God says, I'm going to do such a great work through you, even in spite of this horrifically embarrassing act that you have just participated in. I'm going to do something so marvelous through you that nobody on the face of the earth has ever seen anything created like it. He renews his covenant with his people. 